The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Today's discussion will focus on the latest theories, research, and application of -of out-of-body experiences, OBEs, and other consciousness states that transcend the limitations of one's physical body space. It will feature original chapters from leading international researchers, educators, and practitioners who specialize in OBEs. Our guest aims to meld contemporary scientific evidence with the latest and most compelling practical applications of OBEs. We'll explore consciousness beyond the body. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Alexander Defoe is a Melbourne-based researcher with expertise in human consciousness and perception and is a founding board and director of the Australian Centre for Consciousness Studies. Dr. Defoe has carried out numerous projects on the role of self and body integration in the feature-binding problem, as well as the use of modern technology in transforming mind-body perceptions. He has worked extensively on research in altered states of consciousness, including those apparent in the use of mindfulness, meditation, clinical hypnotherapy, entheogens, and induction via modern technologies. He has also lectured on these topics, including teaching expertise in the philosophical antecedents of modern psychology, exceptional human experiences, and higher degree subject. He created on Eastern models of self and personality and has published in leading academic journals, such as Cognitive Neuropsychiatry, Clinical Psychology, and Psychotherapy, and the Journal of Affective Disorders, He is the author of the books titled Consciousness Beyond the Body and Hearts in Transcendence, and also additional papers that challenge the field of human potential. His website is alexdefoe.com, and he joins us directly from Melbourne, Australia, where it's really early in the morning. Good morning, Dr. Defoe, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. I'm great. My pleasure. May I call you Alex? Uh, yeah, of course. Wonderful. Well, before we begin, just to share some background with the audience so they get to know you better, I want you to share with us a unique experience you had over a decade ago that sparked your interest in altered states. Definitely, yeah. So I've pretty much um, been drawn to many of these uh, topics in metaphysics and philosophy uh, from a young age, uh, but also had some uh, interesting um, psycho-spiritual experiences um, growing up that were not necessarily that easy to integrate and uh, make sense of, um, especially trying to, you know, kind of place them in a uh, broader community and um, understanding amongst, you know, what this actually is. And one of those was uh, an out-of-body uh, type state um, that I experienced. And this is really what sparked my interest in 
trying to understand consciousness uh, from a scientific framework. Um, so after I had uh, some experiences um, with altered states growing up, this kind of led me to look at um, a lot of esoteric literature on the topic and really find that there's a lot of uh, lacking um, clarity around some of these experiences, uh, which is what really drew me to try to, you know, scientifically measure them, uh, as well as, you know, understand them in more, uh, in a more methodical way, which is um, definitely easier said than done. Um, but it is uh, a, a fascinating um, topic to delve into. The first question I have for you is one, Alex, that I frequently ask my guests all the time, and I usually get a different answer always. What is consciousness? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, so we define it very specifically within a psychological um, context, but even there, you know, we see kind of conflicting theories around uh, what consciousness is. And of course, this is um, a big debate, um, you know, presently with technology and artificial intelligence as well. Uh, but there is um, an aspect of conscious experience that is very unique or seems at least very unique to us as human beings. And it's um, what scholars like David Chalmers have called, um, you know, qualia, this quality of conscious experience. So we can kind of, from the psychology perspective, define consciousness in two ways, uh, that direct sort of focus um, that we take on, you know, particular information, say if we're reading a book, uh, following, you know, the words and this kind of spotlight consciousness that um, uh, takes that information in. And of course, this is very, you know, important as an aspect of consciousness uh, that can be refined as well through meditation and uh, specific focus exercises that actually allow us to explore um, very specific altered states. But then there is also this, um, what uh, scholars call uh, phenomenal or phenomenological consciousness, this um, uh, kind of uh, subjective state of what it feels like to be you that no one else can really can really know and that, that therein is the um you know challenge of the definition of delving into that nature and uh quality of consciousness and how we possibly even you know start exploring that um that i think is you know one of the central sort of questions um that needs to be engaged in to really understand some of these um uh anomalistic phenomena that people report is consciousness attached to our physical bodies? Uh, yeah, great question. And this is, um, you know, certainly where it's really kind of contentious territory uh, in science with most materialists um, believing that consciousness arises in the brain um, and possibly uh, somewhat more fringe theories, but not so much, you know, in, in the modern day, there's more scientists actually engaging with uh, alternative um, prospects like, you know, consciousness either existing as an emergent phenomena that arises in, uh, say, all of nature rather than specific to the human brain, um, whereas, you know, many of these ideas would have been completely heterodox even just, um, you know, a number of decades ago. Uh, there definitely are, um, you know, researchers uh, that debate this um, with, you know, most of these sort of contentious issues, I try to just see where the evidence leads. So if you kind of ask me uh, what my perspective is, um, I, I'm inclined to think that consciousness is more of an emergent property, but 
uh, you know, coming from a scientific background, I'm also kind of open to what the evidence shows. So I try not to um, be overly convinced one way or the other, if that makes sense. How does academia and your peers feel? Because a lot of what we discuss and we'll be discussing tonight sounds, as you said, heterodox to their views. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely um, there is that aspect. And uh, the way that science has generally handled some of these topics um, has been quite interesting in that, uh, especially, you know, in the intro, you mentioned out-of-body experiences. And these have been really studied from various perspectives with some uh, researchers in the neurosciences suggesting that um, they're completely illusionary. Uh, and, of course, there's this uh, quite, um, you know, heated debate around near-death experiences and OBEs where people report um, floating out of the body and some type of uh, veridical or verifiable perception that comes up, whether that's in the operating theatre or a uh, particular um you know, sensory input around the room. Uh, and um, there's this, you know, really large um, divide here, like with many topics in parapsychology, uh, with um, many researchers suggesting, you know, this is completely illusionary phenomena, um, you know, the famous sort of dying brain hypothesis uh, that suggests the brain gets, you know, flooded with various neurochemicals leading to these, um, you know, really profound experiences. Uh, especially uh, um, if someone's faced with uh, a life or death situation. Um, but then we have the more maybe open-minded scholars or those that would kind of um, take the perspective that consciousness could be emergent uh, and actually look at studying some of these phenomena and saying, you know, well, um, can we, you know, test people that are near death or that can induce an out-of-body experience to actually travel somewhere and, uh, you know, obtain some information back and, and then recollect that um, kind of comparatively to what we see in some of the uh, remote viewing studies, especially if that, that information is, is quite useful. So um, yeah, kind of a bit of a long-winded answer, but I, I found definitely, you know, as I mentioned, these topics can be spoken about now a lot more than in the past. If we kind of trace parapsychology back, there was definitely a lot more uh, kind of contentious attitudes towards these topics. But I think, uh, you know, part of the reason is that we now kind of see a resurgence of the psychedelic uh, research. And I think people in general are becoming more open-minded to these ideas and not just kind of dismissing them offhand. So certainly some people think I'm a little bit uh, weird and eccentric for delving into these topics. But I think by and large, uh, people are a lot more, you know, interested and willing to engage with them. I remember years ago, I had a conversation, you probably know the name, Dr. Rick Strassman, about yes. the spirit molecule and his experiments on with DMT. And he told me that our brain produces DMT. So I wonder, when somebody's ready to die, could we be producing more DMT at that point where we actually create a hallucinogen effect to let's say, make death less painful. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, really, really great question. Um, and I should, you know, I should kind of say my background is not specifically around uh, the neurochemistry uh, or biology side of it. So I, I know the area of, uh, you know, this re research area is very promising, especially when people ingest um, 
DMT, their experiences are, uh, are quite, um, quite fascinating. And as you mentioned, almost this uh, preparatory state. So a lot of the time people talk about feeling like they're uh, back home, which is, you know, almost kind of paradoxical in some ways because they're um, experiencing a different reality, but feel more at home and kind of more uh, familiar with that state than, um, you know, everyday waking consciousness. So I think uh, definitely, um, you know, these sort of novel treatments uh, around using ayahuasca and uh, other psychedelics as well, uh, I think it does alleviate uh, people's fears, especially in the case of terminal illness or uh, or near death. But I also uh, believe that it does show people a broader uh, reality, which I, I think as a consequence of that, um, there is also often a loss of fear of death uh, as someone kind of sees, um, you know, their consciousness or their soul uh, as just one small part of a broader uh, continuous reality. And that quite often happens um, uh, with uh, near-death experiences uh, where someone comes back with that sense. I understand these practices, and I don't mean to deviate. As you said, you know, you, you, your expertise is not in the in the neuro uh, neuro psychology part of, of the brain, but I understand these practices with these native plants like ayahuasca, peyote, etc., could be dangerous if not administered properly. But I can't tell you how many people I know, professionals, uh, guests on this radio program like Graham Hancock, and so many others who have experienced this, and they have told me without any doubt that their lives have changed a thousand percent. And they all say that this should be an initiation that every human being should go through. But at the same time, the establishment just calls it, you know, crazy or it's illegal, and they forbid that. Is it because they don't want us to discover who we really are by going through the native practices of, of thousands of years? Um, yeah, it's a really great point. And I think there is, uh, you know, really something there, um, especially, you know, around human development and uh, us, um, you know, needing that spiritual aspect of development that's been, you know, part of our um, evolutionary heritage and, and, you know, cultures for uh, millennia. And now we kind of have this uh, interesting situation, where especially in the last few decades before, you know, this new resurgence, we kind of had, you know, complete bans on uh, psychedelics that would uh, carry quite significant prison terms and, um, you know, suddenly being written uh, and advised by, you know, medical practitioners that there's no therapeutic, you know, benefit to these things at all and, you know, kind of a lot of stigma around them. Um, but you're entirely right there that if we look at, you know, the uh, use of uh, many of these substances uh, historically, um, we can really trace that back across various traditions. And I think now, um, again, we kind of see this resurgence of people being more open-minded and how do we kind of look at uh, Indigenous and uh, more ancient cultures and look at, you know, is there actually, you know, wisdom there to some of those practices and and uh, philosophies and um, seeing how we can, how we can integrate that. Uh, but that is a very slow process often. Um, I don't know if it's about... Uh, you know, the nature of science or maybe just the human nature that we tend to take a while to uh, get to this acceptance and open-mindedness. And like with psychedelics, uh, we also 
see a lot more studies now coming out around um, uh, spiritual emergence experiences and uh, altered states, and there's more willingness to engage with them rather than just say this is like some sort of uh, hallucination or um, lapse in uh, uh, lapse in um, nervous system activity that that caused that experience for the person. So there's a lot more abundance of different theories and explanations, um, both as applied to, uh, you know, psychedelics and why they cause the effects they do, as well as uh, altered states uh, more broadly. I'm really excited about talking about the OBEs, out-of-body experiences. I've been trying this for decades, and for some reason I haven't been able to conquer it because I usually fall asleep because you need to be in a very specific state of consciousness to accomplish it. But going back to, to the research of Dr. Strassman, just because it's important, I remember one case, he had a gentleman who was a successful attorney. And he said that he wasn't happy with the profession, so he wanted to be part of that experiment. And in that experiment with the DMT, he went into this world where he was saving babies. And when he came back, he decided, point blank, I am no longer going to be an attorney. I'm going to go to medical school. He became a successful gynecologist, and that is his passion now. So I wonder if... Most people went through this experience to get into this realm, but using psychedelics and finding out who they really are. If most people would find their true passion, uh, yeah, uh, some some really great you know things there to consider. And I think um, I, I don't know if I'd say most people in in surveying the literature and um, you know collecting accounts of OBEs, I found. It's a whole it's a whole range really of experiences it can be caused by someone being confronted with a near death situation where um they're literally finding themselves you know out of their body observing themselves in that situation. Uh, it could be um, you know substance abuse. It could be um, as you mentioned like a pre sleep uh, as you're entering that state. Um, the reality is that uh, our body awareness um, is somewhat fluid so we we all have kind of like a body representation and um this becomes more diffuse as we fall asleep or as we you know take certain substances uh and things like that um so our, our body awareness kind of has to be fluid to, to some extent and you do see cases with um phantom limbs for instance where someone has lost a limb and uh they still uh kind of experience their body as a whole um entity rather than without that limb um, but, you know, we do find like techniques like mirror boxes, for instance, actually um, can uh, alleviate some of those sensations. So our body representation is a little bit fluid um, and whatever kind of dislodges our um, awareness from that body centered frame um, that that can be, um, you know, DMT or psychedelics, as you mentioned, it can also be hypnosis, can be, um, you know, various techniques that people have used traditionally uh, to induce um, some of these states. I will say that um, there probably is a spectrum of how uh, profound um, the experience is. As you mentioned, for some people, it might be life-changing, and for others, uh, it kind of feels a bit more innocuous, like they're, um, you know, it's kind of short-lived and uh, doesn't necessarily make much of an impact on them. Um, so I would say probably those more, uh, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but it's what it's the word that my mind gravitates to when thinking about um, DMT, especially the way uh, Strassman was uh, administering it. I think those experiences are often more profound. Um, I wouldn't say they're necessarily more more common, but when you talk about 
uh, people having this, you know, life-changing experience. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.